We are in the middle of chapter 51 of the Tanya. And we are trying to understand what it means for Hashem to be uh, present in certain places. We asked last week, why go to the Kotel? If God is everywhere, then why are we trying to find Him in certain places? And in order to understand this concept of Hashem residing in this world in certain places, the Tanya uses the classic analogy to help us understand Hashem's engagement with the world. Such seemingly opposite realities. The reality of God and the existence of the world. And we got into some deep inside understanding of how an Ashama operates within the body. And today, as is Hashem Yisparia, for Hashem's help, we will, based on this, understand a little bit about how the infinite God engages with our world and how He's to be found in this world. So the topic of these classes of chapter 51 and into 52 is really, where do we find God? The question is, where God, is not where God is. We know that God is everywhere. But where is he to be found? You mean in a more tangible way? He's everywhere. So what do you mean? Where can he be found? Everywhere. Where can he find him? Well, well the can question we're asking is, what does it mean, where can he be found? <laughs> we're asking, where can he be found? And we're asking, what does it mean, where can he be found? What does it mean for God to be found? What does that mean? He's everywhere. He's everywhere. To, to find a relationship with us, with him, within ourselves? So where does he reside within our lives? Perhaps that's part of the explanation. But we're already taking a thorough intellectual analysis of the way that, by way of example, our neshama engages with our body. And based on that analogy, an understanding of how God engages with the world. The word found in English is a little bit, what do you call it, but it has two readings, ambiguous. Because when you say where is to be found, it sounds like where is he, but it could also mean where can we find him, meaning where do we see him. And so it is, I think it's an appropriate way to ask the question, because we try to understand where Hashem, we know he is everywhere, but where do we see him? But it's not just a matter of where we notice him. 
What chapter 51 teaches us is that really God exists and functions in different ways. And just like when we say God exists and functions in different ways, we don't just mean that he could sometimes be kind and he could sometimes be tough. What we mean is that there are different levels. Is it, is, is it it's still an inadequate description? There are different... Oh. Dimensions to the existence of God. Any word I use, I'm running into problems. Because God is not made up of levels and is not made up of dimensions. But we try our best and, and, and you, through the scope of the human experience, try to see through and past our limited human experience to, to discover how real and significant and present God is. Yes. Does that depend how we behave or the world? What makes it change? Hashem. We also have, we can have an effect on it. But Hashem himself is multidimensional, so to speak. Because when you talk about dimensions, you usually say how many dimensions there are. He's not made up of like three dimensions or two dimensions. No, he's everything and everywhere. But it's very important for us to realize the, the, uh, how he is real on so many levels. He's not only real on the level that we used to thinking of him, but he's real on many more levels. Maybe we should go past these introductory words and get into the, into the explanation. There's one final point. Chassidus teaches that there are two perspectives. There's a perspective where the world is real and God is a novelty. Eilibus Bapashtus Velikus Bihishachus. The world is real. Right, it's around. If you could go to Google Earth and you could see exactly where everything is. But God, sure, that's a novel idea. <laughs> no, that's one perspective. The world you could touch, you could feel, you could smell, you could engage with it. But God, it's up, he's up for debate. That's one perspective. Then there's the exact opposite perspective. That are lekus That God is obvious. God is real. And the world, that's a novelty. If God is so powerful and awesome and so real, then what substance does the world have? Well, it's easier to understand. It would have been easier for me to understand if you said the opposite is that God is real and the world is real because we, the world is real to us. What do you mean the world's not real? It is real. Here, I'm sitting right here at this table in a class. The world is real. It's hard to relate to the fact that the world is a novelty. The world is like, does it really exist? God is. It's 
So human beings by nature have the first perspective. We have the perspective that the world is real and God is a novelty. We try to get it. We try to understand him. It's not so clear, not so black and white. It's not so real. It doesn't feel so real. That's the human experience. But the experience about the Shabbat is the exact opposite. The experience of the Neshama is that God is real and the world can't figure it out. Some strange, this world. It's like, it's, it's like, what is it? What's it made of? What's it worth? People often share that in, 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 in traumatic moments when people go through tragedy, they have the sometimes suddenly like this perspective of like, I don't care about everything that was so real and so important to me. That's just an example of what a person can maybe for a moment shift into a space where God is real, but the whole world, what's it worth? What substance does it have? It's so fickle and so irrelevant. I'm really uh, going on a little bit of a tangent because this isn't the point of chapter 51, but I still thought it was important to revisit this concept of two perspectives, of a perspective where either the world is real and God is up for debate, or a perspective where God is real and the world is up for debate. Hmm. Now, don't worry. No. The, world, <laughs> the world is not just an illusion. How do we know? Because the Torah says so. Baratheus Baralekim. God created the world. It doesn't say that God uh, uh, made an illusion of the world. He created the world. The world is real. But from the perspective of God being real, we try to understand like, how is there a world? And what does it consist of? And what is it made of? Similar to when a person sees the world is real, they're like, okay, fine. They'll prove to me that the creator of the God. But what is he? What substance does he have? Like, what's he made of? So, so somebody from the perspective that God is real, okay, the world is also real because God created, but what's, what's, what, what's, what substance does the world have? And if, I, if, I, if I'm right, I think that the beauty of chapter 51 and 52 is where we bridge the gap between these perspectives. we see how even from the perspective of the world seeing, seeming so real and so big, there too the real God is everywhere. It's really understanding the interaction. I mean, ultimately God is the real reality because he's always been here, he always will be here and his existence is, is not dependent on anything as opposed to the world. It's completely dependent on God. So the world's, the Rabbim says in the beginning that the truth of the world, there's no truth like the truth of God. Because as long as the world is just dependent on the word of God, so the world's truth is very much not permanent. It's, it's not there in its own capacity. The world is continuously at the mercy of God giving, making it be. As opposed to God, he's real. So certainly, ultimately, God is real and the world is as real as God makes it. But we still want to understand where God is to be found within this world. And now back to the chapter 51. Last week we described how the Neshama, our soul, exists in three ways. 
There's the essence of the soul. There is how the soul is first revealed or how it takes up residence in the brain. And then there's the soul, how it is expressed through every particular limb of the body. So we're doing a little bit of a revision from last week. The essence of the soul is hidden. And it is found equally in every part of the body. The way the soul is first expressed. Or let's do it the way we did it last week. That's the highest level is the essence of the soul. The third level, the lowest level, level three, is the way the soul is expressed through every particular limb. The soul's ability to see through the eye and to hear through the ear, to walk through the foot, to draw through the hand. We described how the soul in its essence is completely poshut. It's, it's a... It is pure and, uh, and uh, doesn't allow for any compartments or descriptions or divisions. It's just purely, it's pure godliness, it's pure soul. That's how the soul is on its essential level. And the exact opposite with the way the soul engages with every limb. Every particular limb has a unique quality and ability of the soul expressed through it. So how do we transition from this absolutely pure, indescribable, indivisible soul into a soul that is so in touch and fine-tuned and broken down to the particular manifestations that every individual limb allows to be manifested through that particular limb? Are you with me? Yeah, can you wait a moment? Yes. And we explained that the bridge point between the poshita etzema nefesh, the part of the soul that's pure, and the limited, fine-tuned, defined faculties of the soul that are expressed through every limb, is the way the soul first takes residence in the brain. Siddhas explains, we explained earlier in chapters 12 through 14, that a person is always in control. Why? Because the soul resides primarily in the brain and from there it gives its vitality to each of the limbs of the body. So there's the soul the way it is on the essential level that is found equally everywhere. And then there's the soul where it's revealed in the body through the brain and from there equally to all the limbs. And then the way the soul is reduced and defined um, and takes on the qualities of each particular limb. That was pretty much a summary of last week's class. The first half of chapter 51. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Um, when it takes residence in the brain, that's the first level of limitation. Mm-hmm. And then further limitation is when it takes residence in every part of the limbs of our body? Excellent. Exactly that. Yeah. I, I was struggling last night to understand... Two, three words of the Tanya. And I looked at one book and I didn't do justice. And then I decided to call 
old teacher of mine oh. from New York that I haven't spoke to in many years. I looked up his, his number online and he picked up the phone. And I was lucky. He, he, uh, I'm very happy to hear from you. And he explained, that, explained the idea to me. Is, is it from birth that it's in the brain? Absolutely, yes. This isn't through our efforts. And even the way the soul manifests in each particular limb is also not through our efforts. It's as the body develops, each particular limb becomes a vehicle through which a particular faculty of the soul can be expressed. And what was bothering me, the, the words that I was struggling to understand in the Tanya, is the Tanya says that the soul is, nim, I don't, don't quote me, but approximately, it's nimshach maniskale. It's drawn down and it's revealed. Drawn down is the first stage to the braid, and then revealed is in each particular limb. Generally speaking. No, maybe I'm incorrect. Either way, it says both drawn down and revealed. And I was trying to understand what's this nimshach? What does this mean for the the Shabbat, the highest, the, 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 the godliness, the godly energy to be drawn. I struggle to understand it. We're going to take a few minutes now to, to talk about that. Chassidus hmm. teaches that God is everywhere. And Baruch Hashem, you all have that uh, understanding from the beginning of the class. Of course, God is everywhere. So if He already is everywhere... We don't need to bring him places, right? We don't, need to, we don't need to bring God in, because he's everywhere. We need to reveal him. We just need to reveal him, correct. So I understand the terminology that's used in the Chassidus to reveal God, but what do we mean when we say to be mamshich, to draw down a godly energy? He is everywhere. To reveal, I understand, but what do we mean to draw down? You have a, an answer? Very good. In other words, you could speak about God's essence and God's energy. And you could say that God's essence is everywhere, but His energy is more, uh, there's a greater godly energy in certain places or certain actions. But I, I wouldn't accept that explanation. Why not? Because is there anything besides for God? When you say that God is everywhere, so it sounds like there was God, and then he created something called God, the energy. So God was everywhere, but we didn't have his energy, and then he needed to create his energy. But there's nothing aside from God. This is, this is part of my difficulty. So maybe, why can't drawing down mean revealing? So I thought maybe it's the same thing, but the Tanya uses a double terminology. Every word of the Tanya is precise. It says, Nimshach Vinniskale. It is drawn down and revealed. That means there's two things happening here. It's not the same. And also, what about this godly energy? We speak a lot of Chsilis about when you do a, a mitzvah, you mamshach alikus and belt, you draw godly energy into this world. So, I mean, surely we. Uh, it goes to the, uh, another question. We're not going to talk now about the effect of a mitzvah because that's not the point of this chapter right now, but later. But. We do speak about how when you do a mitzvah, you're bringing a godly energy into this world. But if God is everywhere, 
So he already was here. And if you say that he was here, but his energy wasn't here, then you say that his energy is out, something outside of him. That there's something outside of his energy. That's what's, yeah. No, you're saying that there's something outside of him, namely his energy. Because you say God is everywhere. But okay, it was nice that we had God everywhere, but we also want his energy. So you're saying, what, until then you didn't have his energy, so his energy, not God's. When God was everywhere, was that, was that void of his energy? God forbid. But it's not that the energy is there, but we have to embrace it. The energy is there, but you have to reach out as well. We have to reach out and do what? And embrace the energy and do stuff. So are we just revealing or are we drawing? Is there, like, are there currents that are being created or is yes. everything there and we're just revealing it? Do you reveal first and then draw down or the other way around? Okay. These are all good questions. This is well, all maybe, what I discussed last night. Yes. Maybe drawing down means elevating. Because when we draw it, they're not only, we're not only revealing where God is everywhere. Yeah. But we're drawing it down into our own mm-hmm. person to be able to elevate the sparks mm-hmm. within me and around me. It's so, making it. Sh- yeah. yeah. So, so the truth is that chassidus generally differentiates between coming, bringing down, and going up. And elevate is usually how we transform ourselves to become higher. And maybe you say that a prerequisite for us to elevate ourselves is to bring godly energy into ourselves. But is it revealing or is it bringing? So, this is what my teacher explained to me. That revealing can mean opposites. To reveal can have opposite meanings. And in this context, in chapter 51, we speak about how God is revealed in every limb. The fact that He's revealed in every limb Shows the extent of God's concealment. <laughs> what is going to be here? The fact that he's revealed is concealed. Is he revealed or is he concealed? What's going on here? It's very simple. As finite entities, in our own human experience, also want to see God. The only way we're going to see God in our own human limited experience is if he hides so much of his greatness so that, we could, that he brings it down to our level. So when we talk about the way God is revealed, we're actually talking about the way he is so concealed that he's able to be understood even in a very limited capacity. Remember I gave the analogy of somebody that was going on a fundraising call and he walked into the businessman and he said, that, let me explain to you why your business will flourish if you give tzedakah. Remember we spoke about it and I said that he told the businessman nothing about what the cause is that he's giving tzedakah to. The businessman has no idea where this money is going and what it's achieving and how it's changing lives and causing the whole society to be uplifted. He just speaks nothing of that. He hides all of that and all he talks about is, I'll show you statistics of how charity makes your business flourish. So he's concealed so much, but through that he's been able to talk on the terms of the businessman. So he's revealed that he's concealed. Through concealing, he's revealed. Had he come into the businessman talking about the effect of the neshama and how lives are changed and how you grow in society, the businessman wouldn't understand a word. He said, Tachlis, 
I need to just see how my business flourishes because that's the only way he sees this particular business value. So it, it, it focused on the productivity of his business that he just needs to know, Tachlis, is, is this generating revenue or not? And if you talk to him anything else, you won't understand what you're talking about. So you hide so much about what, you're, uh, what, what, what it's all about in order that you could actually see, you could talk oh. in his language. Yes. So revealing is the lowest level. The revealing is when it's revealed in each particular limb. So I guess it's, it's maybe the key question is, is it revealing to or revealing of? But even then, we're concealing of Hashem in order to reveal to that particular limb. The fact that a particular hand can, can write is because all of God's, the soul's infinite energy has been so reduced, or the revelation of it has been, it's been so concealed that now all that the hand knows of is the ability to write. It doesn't know within the hand. It doesn't know of the ability to, to see. Because if you're going to try and put the, the, the capabilities of seeing through the fingers, the fingers are just going to be paralyzed. Because they don't know how to, they don't know how to handle seeing energy. They, not, they know how to handle writing energy or drawing energy. And so when the, when the soul puts its energy into the hand, the soul says, okay, let's cover up and hide all of it, my abilities ability to see and to hear and to, uh, and, and to smell. And now all we're going to allow to surface in this hand is ability to see and draw. Yes, you had a question. But the concealment is only concealing that unbelievable, unlimited pressure of light. It's concealing, it's just, it's not concealing Hashem. It's just like putting something in front of him. So that we can receive. Concealing in, in our limited way. Look, we know that Hashem always sees himself. But Hashem does conceal him from himself from us. Right. Mm. So it's a concealment. Able to exist. Correct. Mm. But now before we're talking about God and the world at large, we're still talking about the way that Hashemah engages with the body. We're revisiting it again. So, so revealed is once it's been so concealed that we could actually see it in a very finite capacity. Really. To draw down is, when we talk about Abshach, we're talking about where God is first revealed in a more general way. Meaning, it's a higher level of revelation. There's less concealment, and therefore, he's less um, engaging with the world that it could see, the, that the world can see it in the world's limited capacity. Let, let, me just, let me try to give, quickly give an analogy. So the analogy would be like this. Right? You need, you need petrol in your car. So how are you going to get petrol in your car? So uh, petrol is sitting now in, uh, I don't know, somewhere in, in the country. So you're going to need ta- tankers that will bring the petrol. And then the tankers will need to fill up the petrol station. And the, 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 the petrol station will be able to pump it straight into your car. So there's a two-stage process. It's a very limited analogy. First, you're bringing the petrol in huge tankers, but you can't get into your car, but you're already bringing it in this direction. Those huge tankers you see on the road are so that you'll have petrol in your car. But you can't go from the tanker to your car. If you try to connect your car to the tanker, God, I don't know, could make the car blow up or something, or flood the whole car, because there's so much, there's so much petrol in that tanker, it, it can't engage with the car. So as far as the car's concer- concerned, it's not yet accessible. Only once the tanker now just pours, it's, uh, uh, only when a limited amount of that petrol gets poured through the petrol machine into your car, is your car able to accept it. 
So in God being, so really ultimately it is all just about being, it's all about revealing God. But this God where he's revealed in a more general way, that's the first step of Abshacha, where he's drawn. When we talk about drawing Godly energy, we're not yet talking about how he's felt in each particular limb. It's almost like, so to speak, loading the tanker from the source of petrol. Meaning, we're now causing Hashem to be revealed as a Godly energy that's more present, more revealed in the world, but not yet um, as it is revealed to each particular organ. Can't we use the word limiting rather than concealing or the opposite of revelation? It's a, a limited amount. But remember, God is everywhere, so it's ultimately really all about revealing and concealing. And now I want to go back to the question. Uh, and these are really deep concepts and I hope I'm doing them justice. Have you, have you translated yet what to draw down means? So in, in, so in this, in this context of chapter 51, the drawing down is where God is first revealed before he is further concealed. He's, he's first, re, first re, revealing himself to the world before he reduces how much of himself is revealed that it's now already fine-tuned to each particular limb. Um, but now, now let me go back to the question. The question I asked earlier, when we talk about Godly energy, does that God forbid mean that there's something outside of God? So God is everywhere equally, but his energy is in more, some places more than others, which sounds like there's God himself, but then there's energy. And in addition to God, which is everywhere, there's also his energy which is only in some places, or in some places more than others. So my understanding is like this. God's essence is his energy too. Exactly. When we talk about God himself being everywhere, his, that God himself is him and his energy and everything that will ever exist is there. So when we talk about a more concentrated energy in a particular place, what we're really saying is that now we're no longer talking about God himself. Now we're just talking about God's energy, which is also in himself, but not now just his energy. Again, God is everything. So if he's everything, he's his energy too. But once we talk about God's energy, we're no longer talking about God himself as he is not even limited to being called energy. But now we're talking about a specific manifestation or expression of God, which is his energy. So again, in his essence, that energy is everywhere. But what's happening? We're revealing now his energy. And in a place that his energy is more revealed, so that means that that place has, so to speak, more energy because it's more, it's more felt, it's more revealed. Can I, can I ask a Yes. So if we take the sun. Yes. Not to say the sun. I'm not no, we're using analogies. Analogy. Sure. Some analogy. Actually, the sun's rays are always everywhere at all times. Uh -huh. But right now I've chosen to sit here uh -huh. so that I can receive it uh -huh. because there are certain things that are going to uh -huh. not allow that energy uh -huh. in. And that's how I understand uh -huh. it. It's where do we position ourselves uh -huh. to receive the constant. There's uh -huh. a constant uh -huh. anyway. Sure. But how do we position ourselves Good. to receive that constant? To receive constant energy. Or what or blocks that. us from sure. receiving that? Good. So, so the Tanya actually uses the analogy of sunlight in oh. here in chapter 51. So you're not far off the mark okay. at all. And the analogy of sunlight is for stage two. Listen carefully. God himself, we don't even describe as revelation. And therefore we say that his essence is everywhere, but it's concealed. Because 
it's concealed not because he's hiding himself, but because he's not expressing himself through revelation. He, he just is. That would be like the sun itself, so to speak, before it shines its light. And that's where the analogy falls short. Then the, there's the way that God sh- reveals himself in a general way, which is like the energy. And that would be like the way the sun shines throughout the world. So that's the way Hashem's now being revealed in a general way. He's revealing himself, but still in a general way. Which is, last week we described, that's like the neshama, the way it's manifest originally in the brain, where the brain gives equal energy throughout the body. And then there is, once, once the neshama comes into each limb and engages with that limb in a unique way, then already the analogy of the sun falls short. Because the sunlight doesn't actually define himself, itself and limit itself to each particular limb. It's just shining and whatever you take, you take. As opposed to the godly energy or the, or the energy of the soul. We've been jumping a little bit too much between God and the world and the soul and the body. But we're trying our best. But the, the, the soul energy that comes into a particular limb is no longer just the soul shining, but it's actually that particular um, energy is relates to that particular limb. And, 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 uh, and now let's quickly switch, run over to what this means. Because we said that this is all an analogy. The way the soul engages with the body is an analogy of how God engages with the world. So to summarize, there's the essence of the soul, which is found equally throughout the body. There's the way the soul is revealed in a general way in the brain without differentiating between the different limbs. And then there's finally the way the soul is uh, revealed in each limb according to its particular um, faculties. So too, so to speak, it says, Exactly the same, but so to speak. So it's the same, but it's not the same. It's just one of these paradoxes we have in the Tanya. But so too, so to speak, is the way God engages in this world. Says the Tanya here, the second half of chapter 51, which is really the topic of today's class. God's essence is equal through all the worlds. He's everywhere. When you talk about God's essence, God is everywhere. They say that one of the reasons that people get stuck in Gehenna, one of the reasons people get stuck in hell, is because that they, don't, they don't believe that God is everywhere. What do I mean? If they realize God was everywhere, even in hell, then it wouldn't be such a hell. Because God is with them. As we say to him, even when I walk in the shadows of death, I won't be afraid because God is with me. So if the person is a believer and he believes that God is everywhere and he realizes God is with, God is with him in hell, then he's already out of hell. He's already in a better space. And I think that's relevant even in the hell that we each experience. In our lives, absolutely. So that's God's essence, that realizing and believing that God is literally everywhere. There's no place devoid of Him. And then the third level is that there are thousands, says the Tanya, there are thousands of worlds. We've mentioned this before. If you've wondered about being other planets and other worlds and maybe UFOs, I don't know if any of you believe it. I don't know if any of you noticed a UFO flying around in the sky. I haven't. I don't expect to. But... um, there aren't physical UFOs, but there are plenty of spiritual UFOs. What does it mean? There's not just our world. There are many worlds. There's thousands of worlds for this explains. And in each world, there are thousands of creatures. 
In the higher worlds, we're talking about all different types of angels and souls. So these are true creatures, true realities that are, so to speak, spiritually flying around. Not that you'll see them. Not flying like the birds fly. But these are all thousands of creatures and thousands of worlds in the higher worlds. And um, uh, as Hashem comes lower and lower until he comes into this physical world, he conceals this energy that gives life to all the worlds, more and more, until in this world, you could look at, at something, at a table, and you could say this is dead. It's, it's, you could call it, try, you could think it's inanimate. You could think there's no godly energy in it at all, although there is an energy. So again, there's God's essence that's everywhere. There's God's energy which also shines into the world. And then there's God's energy, the way it's limited to each creature. And actually, it's, it, it's, What's making, it's not just that since I'm so limited, so God has to come down to my level. Really the, the reason I'm so limited is because God came down to my level. Meaning, through God contracting himself, that's what gives, gives the existence of the, the individual limitations of each created entity. And then Hashem continues to operate through that created entity, giving it life, again, on the terms of that particular particular entity so uh, really just like we said that there's the essence of the soul and there's a soul in each limb and that there's a soul as it first resides through the brain so do we say that there's God's essence which is everywhere there's God's energy which is expressed in each particular creation on its terms going through hundreds and thousands of contractions and concealments and further concealments because the more he's concealed the more he's revealed meaning the more he's concealed the more he is apparent to the lowlier of a creature and he's so concealed till we don't see his energy at all. And then there's the in-between level, which we'll speak about, please God, next week. And that's where we come to this idea of why go to the Kotel. What does it mean that Hashem is more found in a particular place? So we haven't yet answered that question. Um, I want to just conclude with a really another point that a teacher shared with me, which I found quite powerful. I was discussing with him we have one of the ideas that I share in my Tanya classes is that the Tanya is a book. There's a continuum. We've been developing ideas and going through a journey and, and understanding our struggles and, and, and our mission and who we are and what we need to achieve, what God wants of us. And in that context, I wanted to know where chapters 51 to 53 fit into the picture, which is obviously a valid question. But he reminded me how every chapter of the Tanya is an opportunity for us to make God real, to make Torah real, to make a mitzvah real, to make what's expected to us, of us real. So, so if you may be, so it's been a long time, we've been on a long journey and, and if, you, if you're not quite able to put all the dots together at this point to see exactly how we've transitioned from all my summaries, you know, another summary and another summary. So we know how the first 15 chapters and the next 10 chapters and the next 12 chapters and how we're building the, the puzzle and climbing the mountain. Sometimes it's important to remember how every time we sit and we learn Chassidus and we learn Tanya, we have the privilege of discovering and living with God in a, in, in a much more real way than we did until then. 
And Hashem should give us the strength to take this reality that we engage with in these shiurim and translate it into every element of our life throughout the week. That throughout the week we're able to live with this reality where God is real and the Torah is real and mitzvah is real and what we can achieve is real.